Welcome again to Shouts of Grace. This is Pastor Keith Radke. And on today's broadcast, we want to share with you the conclusion of a two-part series to celebrate Holy Week, which concludes with this Easter weekend. Last time we heard Pastor Steve Pearson begin a message from John 11 discussing the story of Lazarus' resurrection from the dead. So let's hear the conclusion of So You Say You Believe from John 11 with Pastor Steve Pearson of Redemption Hill Church. Because Jesus now is going to drop a, a 500 megaton bomb on Mary and Martha's house of hopelessness by the things that he says. Jesus says in verse 23, your brother will rise again. And Mary or Martha says, I know that. I know he's going to rise again, but that's not until the last day, the day of the resurrection. This sister's got her theology straight, right? That's, that's out there, but that doesn't help me now. That, that doesn't deal with the pain I'm feeling now. And so what Jesus says and what he does next, you guys, essentially drives hopelessness into extinction what he says to them and i don't care what situation you're in when you hear these words whatever hopelessness you might have whether it's personal hopelessness whether it's corporate hopelessness whether it's hopelessness in your marriage in your job in relationships listen whatever it is if you listen to the words he says next and you let them sink in it will drive that hopelessness into extinction guaranteed he responds in verse 24 I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Essentially, Martha, I know that you're waiting for this hope, right? This hope that's going to conquer death. I know you're waiting, waiting for it to be revealed theologically on this, on this event called the resurrection on the last day. But hey, listen, the wait is over. He's going to change her perception, her theology. The wait is over. You guys, what he's announcing is the resurrection is not just a reality that resides on some celestial calendar of events that takes place in the future. Jesus is saying the resurrection is a person, and he's the person. He's the resurrection and he's the life. And what she is ultimately waiting for in the end time when everything concludes, Jesus is saying, I'm standing before you now and the power that you're looking for to raise your brother in in the future is not an event, it's a person and I'm here. And I'm here and I've got life in me. So you could just picture Martha's like, her theology is like, whoa. The hope that God gives us for life It's not just to be experienced in the end. It's to be experienced right now. That's why, listen, if a person is outside of Christ, if a person does not know Jesus, it's not that that person can't live a happy life. You can live a happy life if you don't know God. You can go and get married to a beautiful woman. You can have beautiful kids. You can have money. You can take vacations. You could live your whole life for, you know, and save for the last 30 years, and and you could do great. But you don't have life is what the Bible says. Because the life that you need is in Christ. The life is not in the happiness of the things that you possess. It's not in what you've created in the personal culture you've created around yourself. That's not life. Life is in Christ. And so what he's saying is, listen, the life that raises a person from the dead is right in front of you. You guys, the way Jesus communicates this is by dealing with the two problems man has. 
the way he communicates this is he deals with the two deaths man cannot cure. Number one, he deals with the physical death. The hope that a person can have over physical death. Look at I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. He is talking about man's greatest enemy, the one thing he can't conquer. Everybody is going to make it. One out of every one person dies. You are going to arrive on the shores of death. It's going to happen. You can, you can go work out. And I'm not against working out, trust me. <laughs> but you can go work out and take all those nasty drink, green drinks. And, you know, I, I don't get that. Why, how is, I got to be healthy. You drink something, you plug your nose while you're drinking. You're like, this is killing me. You can do all of that. You can sleep in one of those chambers that gives you pure oxygen. Brother, sister, you're going to make it. You're going to die. <laughs> that is man's greatest enemy. So what does he do? Some of you have heard this before because I've taught it in the past. Some of you are newer. One of the saddest things about the story of David and Goliath is the main point is missed. Here's how you typically hear it. David went out and he grabbed five stones and he threw them at the giant. He ran at the giant and he killed him and he stood there victorious. And you too could make it. You too, if you had faith, you could slay the giants in your life. How many of you have heard that before? All of us. And though that's true, listen, that is not the main point of that story. The main point of that story is there was a group of Israelites that were petrified and they were sitting in the corner and none of them would get up and face the giant. He talked to them every day. He taunted them every day. None of them got up and moved. They were, they, they were completely petrified of facing that. They couldn't win. And so what happens? Goliath, of all people, an uncircumcised Philistine, preaches the gospel. He preaches a gospel, a major element of it, called imputed righteousness or, or imputed you know, justification. When he says this, listen, you all don't have to fight me. Choose for yourself one person. Let him come forward and he be the representative. And whichever one of us win, the other camp wins. Does that sound familiar? So David comes forward. He slays the giant. He rips off his head. Ah, the total, total Clash of the Titans picture. Medusa, right? Oh, I got him. And in that moment, all of Israel became victors. Because they lifted a finger, they were sissies. Because their representative came and conquered the enemy they couldn't. Folks, that's what Jesus did to death. You are a victor. You have a, a, a God who went before you because you and I are the Israelites. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And he slayed death. So now guess what? The grave has no victory over you if you're a Christian. And death has no sting, and it's not because you were a healthy person. It's because your God went before you and did what you couldn't do. He that believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. If you're here and you have made not just a profession of Jesus Christ, but you are living your life to please him, man, take joy in this. You are never going to die. Oh, this, you might go, huh! but then life begins. I used to be afraid of flying. Like, you know, people would say, oh, safe travels. I don't even know what that looks like, right? 
What does safe travels look like? How do you be safe on a plane? It's like, I don't know how to fly it. And then I just realized one day, you know what? Lord, if this thing crashes, whatever. That's the way it goes down, and that's how it goes down. The second thing that Jesus deals with is this spiritual death. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, of course, if you live and believe in Christ, there's a lot of people that have died. He's not talking about the physical death. He's talking about the spiritual death. If you live and believe in Christ, listen, you will never die spiritually. You are given life by the author of life right now. The resurrection, the futuristic celestial plan that God has for the resurrection is alive right now in you because Christ is in you. You will never see spiritual death. But listen, if you don't know Christ, both of those realities are true, are, are, are evading you, that, that God conquers your physical death and your spiritual death. Spiritual death. Because if you don't know Jesus, here's the reality. You aren't going to live forever. You are going to die, and you are going to stand in front of a great white throne, which Scripture says heaven and earth flees away in fear. Well, here that preacher goes talking about fear again. Amen. I pray that what Scripture says about the end, if you don't know Christ, literally scares the hell out of you. Because it's real. Jesus died, and I live. And so do you, if you know him. Folks, Jesus is changing Martha's perspective by taking her view of the resurrection from some inanimate event and moving her to this place where she realizes, oh my word, it's been him all along. He is the source of all life. Now as we turn this final corner here, Jesus proposes a question to Martha. He says this, do you believe this, Martha? And she replies, yes, Lord, I believe. So now what Jesus is going to do here is he proposes a question that challenges, it's going to challenge Martha's theology, right? He is going to take her theology out of the classroom, that is her intellectual ascent to the things that are right and true, and he is going to put that theology in the laboratory of real life. And he is going to test its validity. You can sit in here, and I can sit in here, and we can sit... You know, some of you have been Christians for, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years. You could sit and you could have all the theology and agree with it, right? Yeah, I believe that, and I believe that, and that's great, right? Because, because that's what we do in church. We learn about God, and we learn about faith, and we learn about life, right? All that's great in here, but did you know that your theology and the validity of it is not tested in here? Because I could say to you, hey, you guys, Matthew chapter 6, how many of you guys here believe that God feeds the birds and he clothes the lilies, and therefore, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he will, ask, he, he will give all these things to you. I could ask you that, and you guys would say, how many of you guys believe that? Raise your hand. You've got great theology. But that theology needs to be tested. So God takes it out of the church and he brings it into the world and he purposely puts you in situations where you got to trust God to both feed you and clothe you and provide for you. Now that's not quite as easy, is it? We can raise our hand, amen, amen, preacher. And then all of a sudden, our account's overdrawn. 
and there's no food in the cupboards, and the bills are due. And what happens in here is great to know. But God has to work it out in the trenches. I could ask you guys, hey, how many of you guys believe, husbands, you're going to love your wives as Christ loved the church? Yeah, raise your hand. Amen, brother. Yeah. And wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Amen, brother. (laughs) But then we take it into the home. And that's a lot harder, ain't it? Amen, brother. (laughs) How many of you guys believe love love covers a multitude of sins? That's a lot harder when it's brought into the laboratory of real life, ain't it? That's a lot harder. How many of you guys believe whatever a man sows, that will he also reap? Amen. That's a lot harder when that theology is tested in real life. And guys, that's what takes place in your life and mine every day when we walk out of the church room and we go into the laboratory out there and God presses us. You know, when I was in school, they used to give us this chemical and I was, I was, just a, I was a weird, messed up kid, you know. They said, now add these two chemicals together. And you guys have all been in high school, you know, and you now heat it up and tell us what it looks like after, you know, 40 degrees and tell us what it looks like after 100 degrees and then tell us what it looks like at boiling point and you write down all your observations, right? Well, at 40 degrees, there's, there's nothing wrong, but we applied more heat and when we applied more heat, we started to notice, notice some physical change and we wrote it down, but when it came to a boil, oh my word, the physical properties just changed completely. You guys, there's a part of our faith that is scientific in nature in this sense, that, that God takes us and he puts us into the laboratory and he heats us up. And a little heat may not really change much. We might kick and scream, this is getting a little warm. But then God turns up the heat. And before long, whatever's around us is boiling and it's changing the, the spiritual properties in our life. We're starting to realize this. We're down on our face before God. Oh my gosh, Lord, I can't do anything about this. I can't change this. And I'll tell you something that, that, that's, that's true about science. It's testable. You've got to keep being able to test it and keep being able to show. And God does that over our life. He tests us in this area and we blow it. He tests us in this area and we blow it until ultimately he heats us up enough where things start to change. God doesn't give up on the testing. But this isn't your testing. And why is that important? Because listen, if you're coming into church and you're sitting here and you're failing year after year after year when God is testing you out there, brothers or sisters, it's time to get real here. Because what Jesus does with Martha, it doesn't do it to discourage her, but he brings her to a reality of where she really is. Remember, he said, do you believe this? Do you really believe this? I believe it, Lord. Mm, I believe it. What happens? He brings her to the tomb. (laughs) Look at verse 38. Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid against it. Jesus said, take away the stone, Martha. The sister of the dead man said, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. He's been dead for four days. Martha said she believed. I mean, if Jesus got up to go to the tomb, I would be expecting the sister to be like, come on, guys, let's go. He's raising him from the dead. Because he's the author of life. Because he's the resurrection and he's the life. Come on, guys, let's go. Roll away the stone. Roll away that stone. He's coming out. You would expect. Because she said she believed. But instead she said, yeah, that ain't going to work. 
He's been dead for four days. You know how nasty that's going to be? Have you ever smelt a dead person for four days, Jesus? I don't think so. This is, about, this is about the dumbest thing you've said in the 33 years you've been here on this earth. We all know dead people don't live again. But you just said you believed. And Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed you'd see the glory of God? You guys, I personally love and hate this. Here's what I hate about it. I have a profession of belief based on my theology that hasn't been tested and when God tests it and I fail and they don't match up, the reality of what comes out and what I say don't match up, that's very discouraging. It's very disheartening. When I say I'm a forgiving person and love covers a multitude of sin and God says, yeah, wham! Blah! (laughs) What is this? You said you believed. But God doesn't do that to discourage me. Listen, God brings us to the reality of where we're at because God only works from a platform of honesty and truth when it comes to sanctifying us. He only works from that, and he wants us to see what he sees. We walk around with, you know, we walk around with number seven on our chest. Quarterback, right here. You know why nobody wants number 89? Because nobody knows who 89 is. And God's like, I want you to see where you're really at with me. Because what I'm going to do from that place is a, is a life-giving work. I can't, I can't operate. God won't operate on the basis of falsehood. So he lets her see. And you know what I love about this? Even knowing, he even knew her failure of faith. And it didn't deter him from the miracle. It didn't deter him. Thank God for that, right? Because he sees right through to the depths of everyone in this room where we think we got it all together in our theology, but practically, whether it's been tested or not, he knows you're not where you think you are, so I'm going to give this to you, and I'm still going to do the miracle. But I want you to see this. I want us to close this morning with a reminder of God's grace and our commission. Look at verse 43. When Jesus said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen straps and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. You guys, because of man's complete and total inability to cure himself of the effects of sin, No power whatsoever. Because man is hopeless and dead without Christ while he lives. He's dead in his trespasses and sin, Ephesians 2 says. His living reality is like that of the walking dead. He's just rotted. He's a rotted corpse while he walks around with movement, spiritually speaking. And the the final blow, if you will, to the head that secures him in his destruction is death. That's it. So when we're told, you guys, in Ephesians 2, that Jesus visits the dead and he gives them life while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Christ made us alive. When we hear that, you guys, we want to embrace the grace of God with everything that we have because God made us alive. We want to acknowledge that unless Jesus says my name and cries out, come out, 
that there's no hope for life. There isn't. And the grace of God for the Christian embraces him. It embraces him and carries him all the way through this life until the last breath and spits him up on the shores of eternity where he sees the glory of God and realizes the entire time God birthed his faith, God carried his faith, and God delivered his faith to glory. That is grace from beginning to end. All of it. When you hear that, you're like, yeah. It creates this intense worship of the one who could have left us dead, but chose not to. But we also acknowledge that when a person is called out from the grave, he comes out with grave clothes. He comes out with his hands bound. He comes out with his feet bound. And he comes out with things around his eyes where he can't see life clearly. And God says to the ones who are around, go unloose him. You guys, we are, crema- we are created for community. The Christian life is not created to be lived on our own. Why? Because if it's created to be lived on our own, what happens when we're deceived about something and we can't see the things that bind us or the things that blind us? Who's going to help us? Us? That's the whole idea of deception. God places us into community. And what I love about this practically is there have been people that have ministered to me in areas in my life, in the past, not because that they were better than me, not because that they're, they're, these guys are really spiritual and got it together. No, they, they made it through that area. They got it together in that area. And then what would happen is later on, God would then put me in a position where, where I had made it through something and I could share with them. That's community. That's the way we're meant to unbind each other. None of us sees everything completely. Every one of us has something in our life that's bound. And when we hop out of the grave as alive, Jesus has given life to us, there's still things that we're wrapped up with. There's still things that we can't see. There's still things that keep us from holding on and serving God. And there's still things that bind our feet and keep us from walking in paths that we should be walking to glorify God. And you and I, listen, we have got to be okay with God bringing people to unwrap us. You've got to be okay with it. The psalmist says that correction is the way of life, or the, or the proverb says correction is the way of life. If I get offended when people want to come and unwrap it, if I get offended when people want to show me, hey, I, I think you need to see something right here, how are you going to unwrap yourself? How are you going to do it? Like Wonder Woman, turn around a thousand times really fast and hope they just kind of fall off you? You guys, as we go forward in this church, you're going to see an emphasis in 2018 on community. You're going to see an emphasis on us getting together in different different groups, and it's going to be about community because we're called to make disciples, not converts. And listen, I can speak for the other two on this. People can shuffle around in different churches all they want. People are going to go, people are going to vote with their feet. They're going to go to where they're being fed, and, and I praise God for that. But my heart, is for the lost. It's for the people that don't know Jesus. That's what we're here for. And so we're going to have a real simple idea of church. People are going to come. They're going to get saved. We're going to move them into community and we're going to move them into service. And then they're going to go out and they're going to do the same. 
Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Shouts of Grace Radio. Practical conversations from God's Word hosted by Pastor Steve Pearson and Pastor Keith Radke. We hope you've been encouraged to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. If today's conversation encouraged you in your journey following and learning more about Jesus, we would love to hear from you. You can visit us online at shoutsofgraceradio.com. That's shoutsofgraceradio.com. At ShoutsOfGraceRadio.com, you can listen to all of our episodes, share them online with your friends, and find out more about Pastors Steve and Keith. Shouts of Grace Radio is an outreach of Redemption Hill Church located in Eagle Mountain, Utah. Thank you again for joining us on today's show, and from all of us at Shouts of Grace Radio, it is our prayer that you would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ.